I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10. We've been going through Romans sometimes on Sunday morning, sometimes on Sunday night, always on Wednesday night. And in our last lesson, we ended with verse 13, that wonderful invitation for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we pick up with verse 14 today, and in this passage we see what is needed before someone can truly call on the Lord and be saved. First, someone must share the message with them. You know, my wife will tell you I'm a big believer in being a Christian example. Sometimes maybe I'm a little too legalistic and... Uh, dogmatic with it. I'm just real big about, oh, I want to make sure my yard is mowed because, you know, if I have some neighbors that maybe uh, don't know the Lord, that even that would be an example to them. And, and that's so important. Isn't that taught throughout the Bible to be Christ-like? It's so vital and so important. But let's not forget that it takes more than just modeling Christ to lead someone to Christ. We have to be a verbal witness they have to hear the gospel message. Now, as long as I'm visiting on the front porch before I begin the scripture reading, I'm excited about some good things that are happening in the church that I didn't see back in my day when I was younger. And one of the good things that's happening in the church is the emphasis that some of the younger Christians and younger ministers are making on hands-on mission ministry. Don't you think that's good? Now, we made a strong emphasis on giving to our foreign missions and giving to our home missions, and we still should do that because there are people that are called to be missionaries. We don't need to neglect that, but Today, some of the younger generation Christians, I mean, they want to be where the action is and they want hands-on ministry. I think that's good. But here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that some of them feel like, well, as long as I'm doing hand-on ministry, let's help them rebuild their houses. Let's help them rebuild their churches. Let's do this and let's do that for the homeless and the needy. But in the midst of it all, I'm afraid sometimes they think that can take the place of sharing the plan of salvation, giving out that gospel. And the first point, and maybe the main point in this lesson today for Christians is we must share the plan of salvation. Before someone can call upon the name of the Lord, they've got to hear about how the Lord died on the cross, paid for their sin, arose from the grave, and there's eternal life for those that receive him as Savior. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? You can't call on someone that you don't have faith in. And how shall they believe or have faith in Jesus if they've not heard. They've got to hear it. And how shall they hear without a preacher? I'm not sure how some of the other translations translate this. The New King James translates it preacher. And so it really jumps out at me because the last time I looked, I'm a preacher. And I think it does especially speak to 
those that are called into the ministry perhaps in a more full-time special way, the missionaries, the preachers, and so on. But I also believe that it has application to every believer. Would you hold your place here and turn back to the book of Acts for just a moment and look at Acts chapter 8. By the way, when we come to this passage in Romans, uh, the church has been in existence about 20 years. It's been about 20 years since Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave. And a lot has happened. But during that 20 years, at first, the church and Christianity was centered in Jerusalem. And he had commanded them in Acts 1-8 to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, and they weren't reaching out like they should reach out, and so God in his sovereignty allowed persecution to come against the church. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed close to the home church. But skip down to verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered, that's the apostles, right? No, wrong. Remember, they stayed in Jerusalem. The ones that were scattered about because of the persecution in Jerusalem were lay believers like you, not people who were, so to speak, called into the full-time ministry. What did they do when they got scattered about? Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere. Look at this. Preaching. How shall they hear without a preacher? Doesn't just mean an ordained Southern Baptist preacher. It's a proclaimer. And that means every believer needs to be proclaiming the word. Now turn back to our text. When was the last time you shared the plan of salvation with someone? I've said this before and I say it again. I've never seen an unhappy soul winner. You've all heard the story about how the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because no real life can live in it. And one of the reasons that no real life can live in it and one of the reasons it is the Dead Sea is because there's a flow in but there's no flow out. And in Acts 1.8, after that you shall receive the Holy Spirit and you shall be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is the river of life, Jesus says. A life, a river of love and joy and peace and on and on we go. But folks, when we don't do the main thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to be doing, and that is sharing the gospel of Christ, we dam up the flow. There's a flow in, no flow out. I'm afraid there are many Dead Sea Christians today. And oh, we wonder, what is wrong? Could it be you're not sharing Jesus? I once had the privilege of hearing Charles Stanley in person. Only cruise I ever took was a Christian cruise. It was wonderful. It's back when Dr. Rogers was alive, and I got to hear Dr. Rogers. Marsha was with me, and uh, we got to hear Dr. Rogers. Of course, we'd heard him in person before, but we went to everything Charles Stanley did. Oh, what a fine, humble man of God. He was, and still is. And John MacArthur was there, and so we went to his two sessions. And I can never forget what John MacArthur said. You know, I think he's kind of, sort of smart. 
He said that he believed the only reason God left us here after we got saved was to witness and tell others about Jesus. Now, I'm not sure that's the only reason, but you know, if John MacArthur said that, I have to think that was pretty important. How long has it been since you have verbally shared your faith with others? How can someone call upon the name of the Lord if they don't believe in the Lord? And how can they believe in the Lord if they haven't heard about the Lord? And how can they hear about the Lord unless someone tells them, verse 15, and how shall they preach or someone tell them unless they are sent? And I think of that passage in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah saw a vision of the throne room of God and he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the Lord said, Whom shall I send? And old Isaiah said without stuttering or stammering, Here I am, Lord, send me. And that should be our response to the Lord. When we worship the Lord, I worship the Lord today, Brother Rick. I miss Brad, but I just want to say you're doing a great job. And I worship the Lord today. And as you worship the Lord, one of the first things you ought to want to do is bow before him in adoration and submission. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Hey, I heard about a guy, and he loved children. So he, he had a lot of money, and he built this huge theme park. I mean, it had all the rides, it had all of the fair food. It had everything. And the opening day came, and he was so excited, and no one came. You know why? He forgot to send out any invitations. Well, Jesus has prepared for us something greater than a, a fair. He has prepared a place for us in heaven, and he wants people to come there. But his manner of inviting them is through the church, through his people. And he has sent us all to share the good news. And then he quotes from Isaiah, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This is a quote from Isaiah 52, 7. And the context is that the children of Israel had been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And now they were being set free. And a remnant was going to be able to come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple and repopulate the city. It was a happy day, 70 years or so of captivity. And now they were being set free. That's the context. And back in those days, these professional messengers, these uh, long-distance runners many times, they traveled by foot. They didn't have cars or even bicycles. They traveled by foot, and when this messenger came to the Jews and said, your brothers and sisters are being set free and they're coming back to Jerusalem, they said, oh, how timely, how beautiful are your feet, messenger, for bringing us that message. May I ask you a question today? Do you have beautiful feet? Now, I've heard about people who have a fetish about feet. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not me. I personally believe feet are the ugliest, ugliest part of the human anatomy. How many of you were here when I was pastoring here the first time and we had John Bramley for a revival? Raise your hand. Yeah, some of you were here. Oh, you're old. 
And John came to this passage one night, and if you'll remember John Bramlett, a great soul winner. Oh, a great soul winner. He had played football at University of Memphis. I wish they would have had him last night at Ole Miss. He played baseball. He played professional baseball. And then he played professional football until he was saved. He was known as the meanest man in professional football. And uh, he got saved, gloriously saved. And he led people to Christ everywhere he went. He and I had the opportunity to go out and visit people together on some occasions. And it was wonderful. But I remember he was preaching about how beautiful are the feet of those that witness for the Lord. And John, who was known to be somewhat radical, took off his shoes. I mean, right here in the pulpit. And he held out one of his ugly feet. I'm telling you, feet are ugly. But he had ugly, ugly feet. I mean, I guess all of the athletics he had been through. And he held out that bare foot and he said, Ain't my feet pretty? And I thought, no. <laughs> and then he said, to the Lord they are. Beautiful are the feet of those that share a witness for Jesus Christ. Well, I need to move on. The second thing that's necessary before one can call upon the name of the Lord is they have to receive the message. See, we can't save anyone. We just share the salvation message. But they must receive the Lord. Israel, for the most part, was not receiving the Lord. But this has application to anyone who rejects the Lord. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And it's interesting that this comes from Isaiah 53 where the suffering servant is described. You know, Israel wanted a Messiah that would just make things better for them and issue in a glorious kingdom. They didn't want a Messiah that would have to take the cross before the crown. And the cross became a stumbling block to them and it is still for some today. Verse 17, I love this verse. You hear me quote it many times. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Did you hear that? Those of you that are called to preach, did you hear that? In this age of entertainment, Christian, did you hear that? In this age of all of the preaching helps and slideshows and videos, did you hear that? Where there's no word of God, there's no work of God. Martin Luther, the reformer, said that. Faith, saving faith, cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We need to do everything we can do to persuade lost men, women, and boys and girls to come to Christ. But no one can come to Christ without the word of God. I'm not saying that as much as the word of God is saying that. I heard this week somewhere in Germany a couple of lines got loose. I was glad it wasn't in Memphis. Let me tell you about the Word of God. It's somewhat like a line. Open the cage, let it out, and it'll take care of itself. Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and marrow, 
And as a critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart, I once had a staff member who was uh, in seminary at the time, and he served part-time as a staff member. And before he was saved, he, well, let's just put it this way, he had a very dark life. And his wife, a beautiful Christian woman, said, that's it, I'm through with you. And he got his gun, he got in his car, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he was on his way to some deserted place somewhere to take his life. And he passed by a big sign on the side of the highway that had Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus the Lord. And he looked at it and he read the word of God and it gripped his heart. He could go no further. He pulled off the side of the road. He began to weep. He repented of his sin. He received Christ as his Lord and Savior. God restored his marriage. God sent him to seminary. He has a wonderful Christian family. And God called him into the ministry. There's power in the Word of God. I wonder if we really still believe that. Do you know I wasn't going to preach this message to you today? I had worked up the cutest message on time. It was so cute. I was going to make an acrostic for you. The T stands for treasure time. The I stands for invest time. The M stands for manage time. The E stands for enjoy time. Isn't that cute? I worked for hours on that thing, and when I finished, I said, Jack, you don't have a thimble full of scripture in this thing. I decided I'd just share the word of God with you. You may not like that as well, but I do. And then he goes on to say that the fault of Israel was not that they hadn't heard the gospel, but they had heard it and rejected it. Verse 18, I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, the sound, and he quotes from Psalm 19, has gone out to all the earth. Oh, evangelism was amazing. Even historians write about how uh, amazing evangelism and the spread of the gospel was in the early days of the church and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? Uh, were they rejecting Christ for the most part because they did not know about him, because they had not heard? No. And uh, why are they upset? Because God is turning to the Gentiles to save them now in this church age because they had been foretold if they rejected the Lord, the door would shut for the most part to them and open to another. And he quotes from Deuteronomy, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Now I may be wrong on this, but I think as long as there are people on this earth, God's going to be saving souls. Don't let someone else find a salvation that you should have because you rejected Jesus Christ. Then he quotes from Isaiah again, chapter 65, I was found by those who did not seek me, referring to the Gentiles. I was made manifest to those who did not ask me. And then the last point is this, a gracious God still extends the invitation to be saved. It's amazing. I've seen parents put up with a lot. I uh, 
was talking to some young parents last night, and they had an 18-year-old little boy, and he was just so cute. And I said, isn't it neat to just really enjoy the stages that the little children go through? And they said, it sure is. I said, until they become teenagers. And I've seen parents, including me, put up with a lot during the teenage years of children, but none of us have the patience that God has. And still, in spite of Israel's rejection, still in spite of our rejection. To Israel, he says, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And the Greek language says he's still doing that. I watched my grandson play soccer a couple of weeks ago. And one of the players on his team was knocked down. And the man stretched out his hand to him. And I thought, well, that's good sportsmanship. He stretched out his hand to the young player to help him up. And the young player just pushed it away. And I thought, that's poor sportsmanship. Well, I guess he'll get over that. But folks, don't push God's hand away. Eternity's in the balance. Would you stand with me in prayer right now? A message to my brothers and sisters and to me today, we must, we must, we must share the gospel. When was the last time? You shared the plan of salvation with someone. We must do this. People cannot call upon the name of the Lord if they have not heard. And they cannot hear if we don't tell. I pray there's none here today like Israel had become at this particular time in their history. They had been God's special nation and special people, but God was opening a new door to the Gentiles to find faith because His people had rejected the Savior. Don't reject Christ. He stretches out his hand today, his great hand of salvation. Would you not reach up through faith and grasp that hand of God? Would you not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him as your Savior who died for you on the cross? The one who rose mightily from the grave? Would you not receive his kingdom, his reign in your heart and life today? I'm telling you, you'll never find what you're really searching for until you allow Christ to be the Lord of your life. If you've never done that, would you do it today? Would you make that decision during this invitation time? For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing, brother.